Hello and welcome to another episode of the Identities Podcast. Um, if you've been listening to the show in any sort of linear fashion, you'll know that I missed a week. And that's because I moved. And quite frankly, I didn't have the time to uh, book any guests. But I booked a guest tonight. And my guest is Jordan Randall. He's, thank you so much for coming. Um, for he me. is a musician, a filmmaker, a podcast host. Much like many of the guests on the show, he is insanely prolific um i've i went through your band camp i went through obviously the podcast which we'll talk about i've seen some of the, the short films that you've made what how do you have all of that time to do <laughs> everything i mean i know that isn't exactly who are you but how do yeah. you what well that's that's what i get asked most like all the time is how do i have the time to keep doing this stuff um i think it's just because for me like i i do all my music at home so Every day, it's easy to just pump out music, like a huge amount of um, proficiency, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, Film-wise, I mean, I don't really make that many films. Like, I, I shoot a lot of films, but the time it takes to actually complete them is, you know, could vary from, like, three months to a year or something like mm -hmm. that. So, I, I shoot a lot of films, but I don't actually release a lot of films. So, it's a bit of a misconception. Uh, podcasting, like, we do, like, maybe one a week. So yeah, yeah, already pro more prolific than the show, which is I stuck to a strict one every two weeks because I was like I'm gonna <laughs> lose my mind. Um, so that's interesting. So let's let's talk about that for a second. Sure. Something that I know about you, but like just to kind of let get the audience in, you shoot a lot of film, yeah, but you don't release everything that you no. shoot because every time I talk to you, you're shooting something, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I obviously follow enough through social social media and stuff like the stuff that you've released, and it's not as much. So yeah. tell me what is what around those decisions is it strictly like logistical like oh this didn't work out or i don't have time to edit this or is it that's uh, a little bit of column a and column b um yeah i think most of the time it's the editing process just is so time consuming that i just don't have the time or it stuff gets pushed further and further into the back burner like if right. I'm, i shoot a movie i'm super stoked about it and then i like go into the editing suite and i start cutting it but then i start filming something else and then now that's the new sort of right. thing in my life so it sort of overrides my motivation to really put everything into the right. project before it so then I kind of just move on so it's it's a lot of different factors do you ever do you ever go back to them like long long days in the future like something you've worked on eight months ago you come back to it and are yeah like, yeah for sure uh, yeah that def it, it kind of works well that way because then I sort of regain a sense of motivation I guess to or not motivation sounds bad but like uh, a sense of like that initial spark that I had when I was shooting it, right? So you know, take, yeah, because it's new, out. right? So you're surprising yourself, exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That happens with, I mean, even just editing the show. I mean, I went to school for uh, like radio and television, so I did lots of creative projects like that. And it's so funny when you're when you're stuck over on something and you've been working on it, staring at a computer screen, even with a, with a bright light in front of you. Almost every pod project you're working on, whether it be a podcast, a film, like editing together the layers of a song, like. You're staring at a computer screen yeah. now, and eventually that that whole process like completely just fries you totally. from the the art or the creativity that you're trying to like pull together, Absolutely. right? Yeah, yeah, it, it sucks uh, sucks the fun out of it a bit. Yeah, it's weird. Um, so do you, so speaking of sucking the fun out of it, um, one of the things that I've asked actually a lot of people because a lot of people that I've interviewed wear a lot of different hats. What do you feel the most at home with? I mean. 
filmmaking and podcasting maybe share some things podcasting and 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 music making probably share some similarities and then filmmaking and and making music kind of share but they're all essentially different arts for sure what do you when you think about yourself first if you got too drunk and and somebody had to ask you what you do which one would you lead with um well um i generally lead with i think well for that example of me getting drunk and someone asks me, it's always different. Every time right. I'm drunk and someone asks me something, like, what do you do? It's always something different. Whatever, like, is more suitable to that conversation. Right, okay. So but for you, like, what? where do you think you would... Well, I started, like, my artistic projects in music. That was the first thing that right. I wanted to do creatively. And I've, I guess I've been doing it the longest. Like, I started playing guitar when I was 13. So that's, the, that's probably the thing that I've been doing the most heavily and the longest... Mm-hmm. Um, but filmmaking, like I've always been in- interested in filmmaking ever since I was a kid too. Like I thought when I was a kid, I wanted to be a paleontologist, but then I realized I just really liked the movie Jurassic Park. So yeah, like, right. Oh, okay. I don't actually want to be a paleontologist because I looked into that and I was like, it's actually really boring. Right. And I was like, no, oh, no, I want to make a movie about you. Dinosaurs. Just yeah, you want to be the guy that makes paleontology look like the coolest like thing yeah. you could do. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and I bring the to- and maybe bring the dinosaurs <laughs> back to life. That's really that, what I want I mean, to do. Yeah, you wanted to bring guy. dinosaurs <laughs> back to life. Well, if you uh, if you ever achieve that, we'll have you back on. <laughs> uh, if we don't die because the Tyrannosaurus Rex That's is just right, rampaging yeah, through the East of Toronto, is getting the podcast. So you think? Yeah. So you. Well, I mean, that makes sense to me. I mean, when I was when I was introduced to you, not even actually introduced to you, but introduced to the concept of you, uh, I was told that you were a musician, you know, right. and, and probably the first art of yours that I consumed was some of your music, right? And so, yeah, that I think that that's probably the way that you come off. But I just yeah. wondered, you know, do you ever, does it ever, kind of the same way that, like, if you're editing together a film that you've mm-hmm. shot, does, does, do they ever just suddenly become... Not boring as in the project itself that you're working on, but do you suddenly just go, you know what? I've got all of these songs that I'm writing, and I've got this podcast. I do. I don't ever need to shoot another film. Like I don't want. I don't want to see it. I did, I'm just. I'm away mm. from this now. Like, I strangely know. I never get that feeling. That's. With, I mean, that's cool. That's great. Yeah, with all the things that I do, it's like um, none of them really override any of the other ambitions or any of my, you know, interest in those other fields, but. It's it's like uh, they sort of in the short term that, that tends to happen. So yeah, right. There's moments where I'm really like I'm playing a lot of music or I'm consuming a lot of music, and then I'm just in a music mode. So the idea of working mm-hmm. on a film it's like not interesting to me. But then who knows? Like a week later, I've had my music fix, and then I'm like, you know, and I just want to make or I'll start watching movies, and then I'll be like, oh, you know, now I'm all juiced up on like watching a bunch of movies, and I want to make make movie my, like I I watched Hateful Eight. Okay. <laughs> And, like, every Tarantino movie that I see, it's, like, the first thing I think of is, like, I'm going to make a movie that's nothing but dialogue. It's just, like, it, it juices me up. And I, every, every time I watch this Tarantino movie, I just, like, write a script afterwards. Right. Every time I hear, like, a really great album, I'm like, I want to do that. So then I, I start, you know, working on writing music again. Or I mean, podcasting is a bit different because it's not... Right, you, yeah, you, you're more reliant on, like, yeah, the subject, I guess. It's okay, more it's of like a subject-based medium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, I was just, as you were telling me that, I mean, obviously to no great level, but I was thinking about, like, when I was growing up playing guitar, and I think it's probably a symptom of, like, just being a teenager. There's always, I can't remember who had it, but there's always this great anecdote about, like, I think it was Chuck Hosterman who said, like, every teenage boy in their life goes through a phase where they absolutely unequivocally could never be argued that Led Zeppelin was the greatest band that ever lived, and there's no band that will ever be as good as them. And then one day they wake up and they're like... Okay, yeah, that's they're fine, but like, there's lots of music that is 
just as good or better. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking about what you were saying, like in the in the short term, like kind of attacking something for a long time, or like listening to an album and being like, okay, cool, I want to do that, even if you're not doing like I want to do that exact same yeah. thing. And I just I just had like a flashback of like me like learning every song on on like Master of Reality by Black Sabbath, being like, <laughs> this is the only music that is worth making like i would have like like i love like john mayer and i'd be like pop music i am done with this this is you gotta i'm turning the distortion all the way up and i'm only doing this and this is all i can do and then eventually you kind of your bubble burst for a second yeah like wait a second like i like listening to this but like i don't even this isn't me you know Mm -hmm. and so it's interesting that like art can can take you there right like you can work creatively and find yourself, and I've actually learned a lot while having like some different types of artists on this show. That although a lot of them have said to me uh, that they find the the process of making art therapeutic, I know them like people that have been on. They're my friends, and they've actually said that often. You know, the 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 voice that comes out of them doesn't necessarily need to be autobiographical right like and you can only you can really only write so much about your own life in the in the real moment before it just becomes like okay well what do i say like oh had to unclog my drain in my shower like you're like oh like i i wrote that song about that girl and then that next girl and then that next girl and i wrote that song about like not knowing anybody and feeling alone in the world and then i wrote that song about like not feeling so alone in the world anymore. Like, do you find that you really see yourself in a lot of the the music that you do, or is that um, does that yeah, ring a similar I, bell to you? No, that's totally a similar bell. Yeah, like, um, yeah, that's you're absolutely right. There's only so many stories you can tell before they start turning into like Facebook status updates. Yeah, right. So the truest form of art, the true, yeah, exactly, as, as I like yeah. to call it, Facebook status. <laughs> that's is, the real deal. It's the only real art. They say that uh, stand up comedy is the only last remaining art. It's Facebook no, statuses. No. I got a bunch. I'm publishing my first book, summer. 2017 things I wrote in 2007 I would buy it yeah I, I know you would because it's a it's artistic it's very good <laughs> but yeah no like that's exactly what happens I mean I I like to say that I write about myself in fact and then I write about others in fiction and it's a term I like to call faction right I know that's already a word but um yeah like uh, all, all my like their related relatability I always find is key to, yeah right to songwriting so mm-hmm. If I'm writing a song about myself, then it's even still kind of fictionalized in the sense that I know not everyone's like me, so I try and sort of shape it so that other people can listen to it and be like, oh, yeah, okay, I, I feel like that or something, or like, yeah, that's kind of true. Um, but then I'll, if I'm out of ideas about myself, then I'll take something, some idea that I had from something that was true about myself and then just turn it into like, oops, turn it into like basically a whole, um, a whole fictional story. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. entirely different, but... And it gives you a lot to work with, right? Because then once you've once you no longer have to be completely true to the truth, mm-hmm. you can then just be like, oh well, I have creative license to take this, yeah. whatever it is, whether it's a film or, or a song or anything. Like I can just take it wherever I want it, and then that's mm-hmm. probably better and and more conducive to the to the creative process. Um, speaking about the creative process, so. You're actually now, you know, again, for people that are listening linearly, you're now the second podcast host in a row um, that I've interviewed, which is kind of cool. Um, so listen to my new podcast, Podcast Weekly. Um, you, unlike the last host that I that I talked to, and, and actually unlike myself, you're, yours is a collaboration. I mean, The Dark yeah. Room is you and, and your, your uh, partner, Paul, Paul right? Yeah. yeah. And he... And you you found, I mean, we're going to talk about the guests in a second, but 
the fact that you're collaborating on something, from what I know, and you can set me straight, but like from the very beginning, do you find working in a tandem like that? Do you think your input is is fully realized by the end of every episode, or do you? Um, what's your relationship? I don't mean like yeah. do you hate him. I mean like what, what yeah, is your no, relationship no, we, we with hate, the creative process with somebody other. else? We well, that's it, good, we right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. Of course not. We're uh, we're good friends, and um, yeah, no, we. we we neither of us sort of you know overshadow um, each other's responsibilities on right. the show. We kind of when we conceptualized this idea of the dark room, we we pretty much came up with a sort of formula that we wanted to go with. Cool. There was sort of like a cross between doing like a really serious sort of like Larry King style interview show, and then having kind of like guests that are similar to like you know Jerry Springer or something like that. Right. But then having our sort of um, dynamic being a bit like Conan or something. Where it's like a loose sort of analogy, but I'm kind of like the Andy Richter on the show. Okay. So Paul is kind of like the main host, and I'm the co-host. You're the Steve of the Jerry Springer yeah, show. Yeah, pretty much. So. You get in there and <laughs> grab the girls that are going crazy, pulling each other's hair, and put them on your shoulder. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. Well, sometimes you got to do it. Absolutely. So that's I, we, so that's cool. So your dynamic is established, and and it yeah. makes you feel like it's expressed in like a true form. Absolutely. From what well, that's cool. And it varies from time to time. I mean, like the way we kind of do it is um, like Paul will script uh, a lot of questions and he, he does really really good extensive research on these guests right, before okay. they show up and he scripts a, a bunch of questions for them but I never script any questions and we kind of wanted to go for this dynamic where it was like um, my questions are kind of like what the viewers questions would be as they mm-hmm. as they come up come along because I, I listen to podcasts and you know like there's certain questions where they either know enough about the guest already that they're asking questions where they there's like a lot of assumption and it's like, yeah, people will know this or like they'll read the article that we're talking about right, or something. Yeah. So I, I wanted to be there to be like, no, wait a minute. Like, what is it? Because I don't know who you are really. And I don't know what yeah. the situation is. So just break it down as if like assume that I know nothing about you. Yeah, I got, um, I really got that kind of vibe off of it mm-hmm. with when I was listening to things. I mean, it's so... It's so interesting the, the way that you use descriptors of words because obviously the, the show is called The Dark Room and, and a lot of the guests that you have on are more marginalized kind of, mm-hmm. they're from more marginalized walks of life, right? Yeah. But even the ones that perhaps, like I was listening to the one, um, Sheila, who was frauded of yeah. half a million dollars and she definitely, until she found herself in this horrible, horrible situation, mm-hmm. she is she wouldn't be what you would call dark a dark person person yeah. right and so the reason why i bring up descriptors is like mm-hmm. so it's called the dark room it, it, it's got this kind of you know that there's this big negative air in the room yeah right and yet the first thing i noticed about her episode in particular is you let her run with her story yeah. for so for like long minutes, right yeah. which is crazy a that she could even just do that i mean yeah. obviously i've never been through what she's been through and mm-hmm. i'm sure if somebody ripped a half a million dollars off of me i could just sit here and let you of hear course. about it for three hours and give you every last detail of every yeah. last you know bank statement i mean she was she was getting to the point where i thought she was going to talk about like the, the the pennies that had been <laughs> like transacted right but the, but the point is, is like the the word that I think of is the warmth, right? Mm-hmm. Like it really, if she was if she was blowing a bubble, it just filled and filled and filled and filled and filled, yeah. and it never popped, yeah, right. And you got and that's what, kind of what you were describing, right? Is you you created a, a scenario in which even when your guests are like her or where they are from a different like more marginalized walk of life, you have given them a, a 
platform mm-hmm. that allows them just to expand it as fully as they want to go before basically you even say boo. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. They aren't being like, beat, and then yeah. you're like, okay, tell me more. Like, basically like this show. I mean, like, literally, like, I'm being like, okay, here's here's 30 seconds of me being like, here's what I, three minutes of me being like, here's what I want to know, and then you give me sure, as yeah. much as you can say. But this isn't, this isn't like that. You yeah, know? it's not. It's it's not strictly one or the other though. I mean, sometimes it happens that it's kind of like a call response sort yeah. of way. Uh, with Sheila, it was definitely a situation where it was pretty much just her telling her story and then us kind of reacting to it. I mean, I, th- I think Paul even like ditched his script questions like uh, halfway through her thirty minute, uh, you know, yeah. intro there. He was just like, oh, we're not going to have time to really ask these questions, but it raised so many other questions that it right. just felt natural anyway to to you know add our two cents or whatever but I, that was that was a different one for sure because that wasn't one that like you said it, it didn't come from a history of like like the person themselves yeah. weren't involved in any sort of darkness mm-hmm. that um, that would be a, that would be similar to our other guests but what happened to her was definitely quote unquote dark right. so that was different in that sense cuz normally we interview people that are kind of like dark from the get go Normally, but of course there's... So, uh, let me ask you a question, just speaking of the people that are dark from the get-go. I actually was about to ask you something else, but I'm going to hold on to that for a second. Um, What do you think that you've learned about yourself through interviewing these people with definitely some more interesting personality traits and tendencies and life background stories than you would see even on, on my show? I mean, this is... Light and, light and dark, I was going to say, to not be too cliche, of like the different type of guests that you could come here. You now, I mean, you've been running, how many episodes you got, 15? Uh, we just released our 17th episode. 17, okay. Yeah, yeah. So like, that's a lot of time, yeah. right, to, yeah. to have been spent, to, to have spent on this project. For sure. Do you think that you've maybe... I think that's a great question. Um, I think that it's given me some really interesting perspective. Um, yeah. I think one commonality that I've learned about all these guests, no matter what walk of life they come from, is that people just want to feel like they have a purpose in life right and it it's so insane how big the spectrum is for people to like feel needed in the Mm -hmm. world yeah so it's interesting because you get to see that it's like you know some somebody like um like a dominatrix for instance like she feels that this profession is what's gonna help her sleep at night or feel accomplished you know whereas it's like somebody asked me if i wanted to you know, be like a dominatrix's slave or something like that. Yeah. I'd be like, no, thank you. That's yeah, not right. Make me feel. Yeah, that's not gonna. That's not gonna make me feel. It's like not gonna do it for you. Yeah, like right. For whoever goes to this dominatrix and wants to be their slave, like they're getting something out of it. The same as I'm getting something out of doing the podcast show or my music or whatever. Right. So, it's it's shifted my perspective to be like obviously a lot more open-minded. I mean, I don't think I would yeah. really close my No, of in, course. But... Well, I mean, that was kind of where this question was mm-hmm. originally going. I mean, is to even do this show, mm-hmm. it's definitely a very um, open book of open-mindedness of, yeah. of different types of guests that you can have on. I mean, you've had everyone from Dominatrix to yeah. to people who, are, who have self-harm yeah, issues. Yeah, I don't even know how to properly word it because I don't want to disrespect anybody with self harm problems. Yeah. Um, to Norm Kelly, which yeah. I mean, we'll talk about that in a second. But like, but so like, of course, the whole project is is an exercise in open mindedness. Nobody's going to look yeah. at you, and like that's why I was trying to kind of like build this up and saying about the 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 way that I felt the podcast, the warmth mm. that I felt in it, because there's no this is not you and Paul sitting around going. 
uh, yeah, like, w- like, look at these guys, like, what's happening? Like, there's no, there's no, there's no, um, condescending, yeah. you're not making fun of them, you absolutely have that kind of relationship with them that is, it, it, by the end of the episode, you just mm-hmm. feel so much more, as a listener, you feel so much more open-minded, and so I just wondered, like, even coming from that place of open-mindedness, if you, if you found anything in yourself that you didn't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... I think yeah. If anything, it's just like solidified, um, you know, the the idea that I should be an open-minded person in order to accept more people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just I, I think really it just made me learn. I mean, each of those guests have such specific cases mm-hmm. that it's it's so you learn so much in every single episode. It's sort of hard to generalize what you kind of what I I've taken from it. I've taken so much from it. But I, I guess like the big thing is just getting that that idea that everyone is just like sort of searching for their their own purpose and everyone's purpose is different and everyone's purpose is totally dependent on what they want their purpose to be so yeah it's never a constant so okay so that's actually really it kind of segues nicely for me so i mean the the kind of the motto the the tagline of your show is only by looking in the shadows can you see the light right do you think that and this is kind of a, I'm playing on the word shadow. Uh, I'm just going to spell it out for everybody. But, like, do you think that people, whether it be through your art or just period in, in society in general, do you think that people see you the way that you see yourself, the way that the person that you think that you are? Uh, it's so impossible to say. I mean, yeah. I think that a lot of people can misconstrue just based on, you know, it's like the uh, the age-old adage that nobody seems to listen to, uh, never judge a book by its cover, and everyone judges Right, exactly. It's so, it's so hard, but then it's like, well, what, are you judging your own book by your own cover? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. It's yeah. like... Well, I mean, yeah, I kind of, I think it's like, um, yeah, it's unavoidable. I mean, like, people assume, like, I mean, with me personally, I'm, sh- I'm sure it happens all the time, I just don't know about it. Right, yeah. But, um, like, we see it on our show, people, you know... I see both sides of it. Like people coming in very, very opinionated. Like we did one with Stephanie Walsh, who is a 52 year old transgender woman who for therapeutic reasons dresses like a six year old girl. Okay. So physically on the outside of this person who identifies as a woman, they have the physical attributes of a, of a male human being. Mm-hmm. So people, you know, like specifically like older generations, they're really sort of like, their feathers are very ruffled by this idea mm-hmm. yeah and like you know we get people even young people too for some reason like we've been getting people like oh my god this is disgusting and this is disturbing and like this isn't right um so and they don't even really like those people don't listen to the podcast they just like assume right off the bat like that oh this guy's whatever he's doing it's not right and i don't want to give him the the time of the day to even listen to him try and defend why this is the thing but then we also get other people that listen to it and then they're like oh shit like i thought initially that this this was a yeah, weird like right fetish thing that's and then they listen to it and they're like oh no this guy is just like everybody else he's just looking for a purpose and he just wants to live his life and be happy and so happens that these certain things that you know they're doing is making them happy mm-hmm. but it seems weird to the average person yeah i mean it seems weird to the average person but at the end of the day you have to i mean i always think about it in in these terms it's like they know that as well mm-hmm. and yet they're still seeking yeah. this and that is what's making them feel mm-hmm. better 
and, and yeah. validated and and any any sort of I mean positive feeling. You don't I don't even need to use the, the descriptors. It's just posi- it's just a yeah. a positive feeling like yeah. you said right at the very top feel, feeling needed is is one of them, yeah. right? And so it's so interesting. It's it's a, it's a it's a trope now about, you know, well, people say, "Oh, being gay is a choice." Mm-hmm. And it's like do you know how hard it is to be gay in even accepting yeah. society of 2016? If, if if it was a choice, people would be like, uh, "Yeah, no, thank you. I don't need any of that. Right, I'll right, just right. not do it." And of course, of course, you know the the quote unquote weirder it gets, the more mm-hmm. that becomes true. It's like, yeah. you know, people yeah. aren't looking for the negative attention that goes around. No. what helps them get through the day? Of course not. You of know, course not. I mean, yeah, it's. Um... And that's another huge thing that we learn on the show too. It's just like the the strength that a lot of these people have to ha- to you know still pursue what they desire in life and going against the grain where it's like a sea of people that are just being like, no, you can't do this. And the fact that they still continue to go along, it's it's very commendable. And a lot of our guests really show a, a, a big amount of strength. That being said, though, um, like on our show, we we don't we definitely don't endorse all the opinions of our guests. Right. So, like, there are some people, like, we have an episode coming out with um, a group of guys that formed an advocacy group in Germany um, to try and legalize, basically, bestiality. Right. And uh, these guys, they all had sex with their dogs. Some of them have horses that they sleep with. Um, And so that, you know, like, that's something where I can't say, okay, these guys are, like, they're fighting the social norms and they're, like, they want to be happy. It's, like... Yeah, you know, like, uh, they, yeah, okay, that's what they feel that they're doing, but I can't really stand behind that at all because there's a there's an issue with consent here with animals, you know. Right, they, exactly. They I mean, yeah, it's a it's a fully it's a on the spectrum of abuse where consent may make that like in terms of like a dominatrix, for example, yeah, they're they're causing pain, but the consent is, yeah, exactly. is there, it's right? All... On that spectrum of abuse, that is fully on the one side exactly. where it's like, hey, guess what? Your dog doesn't want you to do that, even if you yeah. feel like you're fighting uh, yeah. a norm. Yeah. Um, speaking of norm, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had to. Um, speaking of norm, mm-hmm. you interviewed um, Kelly, the, yeah. the hashtag, hashtag six dad, six dad yeah. uh, Norm Kelly, which I thought was really cheeky. Of you now, you didn't make fun of him again. I, yeah. I'm not going to say it before anybody listens to it. You definitely should listen to it because it's fascinating. The the man, I mean, if you're going to talk about people that you maybe have uh, obtuse opinions about, and then that changes your mind, Norm Kelly will do that to mm-hmm. you. Because I listened to it actually today. I hadn't caught up with it. I've been dying to listen to it mm-hmm. since you released it, but I hadn't caught up with it. So on the way home today, I listened to it on the TTC. If you if you ask Norm Kelly, he probably helped fund the initial <laughs> TTC streetcar. Um, but actually, I I joke. You mm-hmm. didn't. Um, but I did think that having him on the show was kind of, in my opinion, like a wink, yeah. wink, like, here you go. <laughs> like, here is somebody who, who, um, is a, is a goddess worshiper and here is somebody, <laughs> here's a bearded lady. And then here's Norm Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is Drake's best friend. That's right. Um, but I did think that it was really interesting. And one of the things that we were, we were talking about, um, is that self image and, and the judging mm-hmm. the book by the cover. And, and if you think that who you think you are is who people think mm-hmm. you are. And, and you're right. It is impossible to know. And I think part of the reason why I ask, I have artists on a lot is because in my mind, I revere them to the point where it's like by putting out that art, mm-hmm. either they're they're fighting against their own 
box that they feel they've been put in in society right. of like you think you know me but here's a, here's a song about yeah. what I really am like or they just literally have such a feeling overload of like who mm-hmm. they think they are that it's not it's not necessarily raging against any sort of machine but it's just like it, sure. it bleeds out of me like That's I'm right, ready yeah. but I was wrong because it's not artists that do that it's politicians <laughs> and I mean I feel like I knew that already but really you listen to the dark room with Norm Kelly and I think that it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm going to hold my tongue back because I have slightly different opinions than what was at least expressed on the Darkroom podcast um, of his... He doesn't have a rags-to-riches story, but I'm going to call it a hip-hop rags-to-riches story (laughs) about how one day he found himself, and he very earnestly explains that he did just find himself in the middle of um, a hip-hop beef online. He inserted himself in it, but I would say, and I'm going to give him the, the, the benefit of the doubt and the credit to mm-hmm. say that he only did it f- for himself and maybe for the people that were following him. I don't think this was a scheme on his part. I don't think it was a, mm-hmm. it was a collusion with Drake. I think he yeah. just thought he knew that the people who followed him in Toronto would know that if he was saying to Meek Mill, don't come to Toronto, they'd be like, ha ha, and it would end <laughs> there. But as, as we all know, of course, this is a Toronto podcast, so if anybody that's listening to it in the city, as we all know, Norman's become a cultural phenomenon, for better or for worse. He swears he writes his own tweets. He, yep. he tells the story of how he writes his own tweets. And he also tells the story about how when he realized that he was going to become a part of the hip-hop furniture, he went to the library and took out three books on hip-hop culture. And I've got to say, there's nothing more punk rock than <laughs> being like, oh, the kids these days are... Uh, into hip hop. Let me just go to my local Toronto Public <laughs> Library and take out a couple books on the subject. First of all, I don't know this because I haven't been in a Toronto Public Library in a while. But what? How recent do you think those books he took out were? Like, I know. Are we I mean, talking are they like making like books are, on hip hop anthology? I mean, or? I'm sure that there was lots of like like the Sugar Hill Gang and like Grandmaster <laughs> Flash. Yeah, yeah. So like, and then that's and then my point to kind of get to it is like that's where. Um, he talks about this 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 studied authenticity in his in, in again admittedly in his in his non authenticity. I mean, he knows yeah. he's an old white man. He exactly, doesn't yeah. he doesn't say like, "Don't worry, children, I'm a hip one now." But I <laughs> that the, to get back to it, that 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 idea of like who you are versus who people see you are yeah. as as a politician. Yeah, really, it it rides that line. It's like does. you may. I assume, and maybe I'll just ask you this as a question, but I would say personally for myself, I think that I would prefer, generally, maybe not in all situations, people to see me as who I see myself as, right? right? Like, I, I, I'll say that. I'm going to ask you what you think in a second, but I would say that based off of the, the Norm Kelly interview, and, and obviously predisposed opinions on politicians other way, I don't really think I know <laughs> that politicians want that, to be honest with you, but... Um, so yeah, so I guess like a two-part question: what, what did you learn from talking to him? And then I guess just to start off, like, do you do you think that that's true? Like, do you think right. there was a certain air of like enforced uh, <laughs> lack of self-awareness in in particular subjects? I, like, yeah, I think it it, it could be. Um, I th- well, I mean, first, firstly, like uh, talking with him, it, it was a very surreal thing. Um, because we, like we'd been following Paul and I've been following Norm Kelly ever since like the Meek Mill stuff happened, mm-hmm. and we thought it was funny. And like my my original sort of idea of Norm Kelly was that okay, this is this is the way politics are like really going now. You know, I mean, it always kind of was a bit of like a like a cartoon show, but now it's really like 
you know, we saw what Rob Ford did. We see what Donald Trump is doing. And then here's Norm Kelly, who's, again, right. skating this line between, like, seriousness and silliness. Yeah. And I was like, I could see how it's beneficial to gain this other demographic that's otherwise going to fall asleep when they hear the word politics. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like, is this all just, you know, hey, look at me. I'm, like, the sixth dad now, and I've got, you know, like, 400,000 Twitter followers, yeah. and my tweets are hilarious. And, yeah. You know, I'm like I'm like your grandpa that's into hip hop music. Like, how funny is that? Yeah, right. So that's what I kind of went in thinking, and I was like, I don't know, you know, like you know, prove me wrong, Norm. You know, and um, I mean, he did, and he, he didn't. He did, and he didn't. That's how. That's what I would get from him. And honestly, yeah. I mean, I obviously encourage people to listen to the Darkroom period, but but to, if you are especially in Toronto and and you want the most unique look at this whole thing, mm -hmm. and it, kind of in a way, even. At Drake, right? Because like he mm -hmm. speaks about, I won't, I won't ruin it, but he speaks about the Ryerson kind of yeah. uh, collaboration between That's him great. and Drake. You can call it that. Uh, and and it's just so interesting because, like you said, it doesn't, it doesn't, because it's like he doesn't speak with an air of like, yeah, we did it and it's amazing. Yeah, he speaks of it with an air of like. I still know who I am. It's true. And I don't have any illusions on who I am. But it's almost like it's like what, what artists like Nickelback fans say, but like <laughs> but like the numbers don't lie, right? Like That's he was right. basically he was basically like, Look, I'm an old white possibly conservative although he definitely um identifies as a, as a centrist even mm -hmm. maybe more of a leftist as in some of the things he says. Yeah. But he's like I'm an old white old man politician um and I've Never really not. St I've always towed that company line of like I am, mm -hmm. but the hip hop kids like me. So <laughs> what are you gonna do, right? Like yeah. it's like, and so I just thought that was so interesting <laughs> when we talk about you know judging a book by oh, its yeah. cover and being like, wait a second, it's like <laughs> don't judge the book by the cover, judge it by the content of the book as long as you still don't forget that that book needs a cover or else how can you open it without a cover it's like it's like a very like that's right cyclical reverse <laughs> like cliched not completely logical look at, at somebody's relationship with who they are that's totally true right that's and 100 percent true and i just thought that that was really uh, uh. but, but norm, norm kelly's put, put an excellent cover on his book you know i mean like that's that's what he's doing it's like he's he's put a, a cover on his book that now millennials will open that book. Yeah, right. And really, like, what I mean, what else? What else? Uh, as any as any good artist or politician uh, would want is that's what you. I mean, I, yeah. I just was I was trolling the web today, and the Rolling Stones are putting out a new album. <laughs> like they're still looking for that cover for the for the millennials. Like that's right. <laughs> my sixteen year old favorite band of all time, Led Zeppelin. You know said they would never reunite but don't you worry by 2020 when one of them finds out that they secretly have a disease that's going to kill them in 10 years they'll be getting back guns and roses yeah. just got back together right we revere that when it's in the name of artistry yeah. but when somebody who is not necessarily a quote-unquote artist mm -hmm. tries to do the same thing it becomes silly which is i mean really i and to, to quote the kind of description in your podcast was like well where does politics start and like it's silly this like where does yeah it exactly and where does it end right so it's, it's just, I just thought, when I listened to it, I thought, of course, it's a good get for you guys to put on, but it doesn't really fit the theme of your show. Yeah, it was. But it does. It, it, yeah, it, it was like, it was a, a step outside of our comfort zone, but then it, it totally just came right back into it. 
I mean, everyone's everyone's got a, a certain element of darkness to them, so... Yeah, right. Okay, well, you were doing a fantastic job of writing my own segues for me, actually, <laughs> because that was the next thing that I was actually going to ask you. So we've, we've talked a little bit about the origins and the workflow of The Dark Room, and, and because The Dark Room is kind of your most recent and, and, and um, consistent product that you're putting out there, yeah. I know we spend a lot of time on it, but to do this show... I don't necessarily need the behind, like the inside baseball version of it, but like, do you, did you see a lot of darkness in the world yourself? You, you and Paul was, is that what kind of drew you into looking for, like looking? And again, I don't mean this offensively, but like, I'm just trying to paint a picture, but like yeah. looking in the darkness, looking in the shadows, right, looking right, behind right. the, behind the, in the forest and under the rocks and you know what I mean? Like down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Down the rabbit. There you go. The rabbit hole is what I was looking for. Yeah, um, looking down the rabbit hole. Yeah, well, it, it's funny because it's um, it's something that we didn't we didn't necessarily start off thinking like, oh, the world is filled with darkness, and we really want to sort of see what the hell is in the shadows. It was kind of like we started. We were doing documentary films together, Paul and I, and right. it it came to the point where we had just found so many subjects for our documentaries. We didn't have enough time to physically go out and shoot them and to edit them and stuff. So we were sitting in a coffee shop one day talking about how we were going to approach our next series of docs. And we're like, you know what? If we did a podcast show and it was just audio, this would be so much easier because we would still get the stories, yeah. but we wouldn't have to take so much time to do them. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of how it started. But then we didn't even like the people we were going to do the documentaries on weren't really like, like quote unquote dark people. I mean, like we, we were doing kind of uplifting stories. Like one was a documentary about a, a 50 something year old uh, lady um, who's a like a world champion bodybuilder and it was just kind of like an inspirational story she yeah. went through a divorce and her coping mechanism was to get extremely fit so we we're like oh this is nice so somewhere I don't I don't even know where it was exactly but we sort of took this dark turn and then and then we looked into this rabbit hole and then we fell down the rabbit hole and then we got trapped inside the rabbit hole mm-hmm. and that's when I I think the real like tipping point was when we found out about this website called FetLife Okay. And that's like a fetish community website. Mm-hmm. And that thing, like, it just opened so many doors. Like, we saw stuff that, you know, I never thought, I never wanted to see, and I never thought that I would see. Mm-hmm. Like, we're talking to this one guy right now that we met on the Fet Life thing right when we started, like, within the first two weeks of doing this show. This guy's, like, a human ashtray. Basically, his thing is that he, like, he gets people to, like, stub out their cigarettes, like, in his asshole. And on his website, like, he's got photos of this, and, like, the speculum's, like, opening his ass, and it's just like, oh, wow, yeah, okay, we've, we've definitely gone down the rabbit hole maybe a bit too far here. Yeah. But uh, that's when we really started, and that's where we found, like, people like Leela Bertalan, our most recent episode, who ended up revealing, like, her suicide party plans to us. And, yeah, we really didn't even know how dark it was going to get, really, until Fet Life and until that episode, and we were like, oh, my God, okay, maybe we should tone it down a notch. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. I mean, j- just to even think about mm-hmm. those things, I mean, I'm sure be- people that are listening to this right now are feeling <laughs> the same way that I am, where it's like... It's, it's, it's not easy to hear. It's yeah, like... <laughs> it's not it's not easy to hear. I'm thinking, like, what the callous situation is mm-hmm. with that particular... Like, it's very strange. Yeah. And so... I, I guess I guess the next thing that I, that I would want to know is, like... So you talked about this this woman revealing her mm-hmm. suicide party um, yeah. plans to you. Does it ever? This is I feel like this is a childish question to ask you, so I, I kind of apologize to everybody listening, and then I ask it. Does it ever worry you? Like, do you ever feel? Do you ever feel? Mm-hmm. 
do you ever feel like you are betraying anybody yourself them the audience no. uh, you know what I mean you it's know what easy, I'm trying to say yeah, I know it's, 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 it's kind of a hard think, question to ask without, without for sure yeah. I, I think I know what you're getting at but like um, yeah it's like when, especially that episode once we right. did that it was like yeah. we didn't know what to do afterwards because we are like you know what if we if we air the episode people are going to think we're exploiting this situation right and, I guess exploit is the word I'm looking exactly, for but yeah. I'm yeah um, or people are going to think yeah, it was like we were trying to think like how did how did we handle because we didn't know that this was going to happen we of course yeah of course yeah, yeah, yeah about something totally different and then she sort of gave a little hint and then we sort of pieced it together so we thought about it later and we're like oh you know did we say anything that sounds insensitive or anything like that but we're like you know what we we didn't because the way the way it was revealed to us it was the way we reacted was 100% legit like we just we just got that information, we took it in, and then mm-hmm. we expressed what we felt about it, which was legitimate concern. And, you know, it was it was shocking to hear, and we were we were bummed out by that news. So it was all legit. So late, we, Paul and I did sit on it for a really long time. I mean, like, I, that that night after that, I remember I went home after the podcast, and I couldn't sleep because I was just thinking about it. It was really haunting. Mm-hmm. And um, she also mentioned some a few things, like... Um, that kind of made the suicide party seem like it was maybe a bit more than a suicide party. Like she mentioned just little things. She was like, you know, I want to be remembered on the news um, being young. And it's like, right. well, you don't go on the news if you just kill yourself. Like they don't, they don't do that. It's got to be something significant, right? Yeah. So sort of like piecing down, like basically like playing detective at my apartment afterwards with like listening to the thing, drawing like notes on like a, like a bulletin board. I didn't actually do that, but um, yeah. But in your mind, you did. In my mind, I <laughs> yeah, was yeah, yeah, actually yeah. a detective that night, and yeah, it weighed on me pretty heavy for a couple of days. Um, we actually ended up doing a follow up with Leela Birdland that will be airing later down the line, um, which is actually even a bit more haunting because uh, she we tried to get a bit more information out of her as yeah. to what her plans were, and it sounded even more suspiciously like that someone outside of her was going to you know going to. Uh, have their life taken so that stuff like um to sort of come back to your question yeah yeah that yeah. stuff no yeah, i mean it, yeah whatever yeah yeah it, weigh, it weighs heavy um mm-hmm. on, yeah, on both of us it did for sure um and we felt yeah we felt like it was an interesting place to the the morality behind releasing an episode like that and what it would mean um so we've tried to, to be very sensitive about the subject matter because it is it is a delicate mm-hmm. subject but i i don't feel that we did anything wrong we haven't exploited anybody um the like Leela Bertalan um, wanted us to air it. We even like right. Well, that yeah, like afterwards. that's that was part of the question. Like I, in terms of your guests, like of course I'm saying when I said betray, like it's like well, do they want yeah. you to do this? Of course, but like I guess to kind of lead into the next thing that I was going to ask you is like, has it because this, this episode is ostensibly about you? Um, has it ever? has anything that you've done? It can not even just be the podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, to kind of open the, the scope out a little bit wider. Have, how do you what do you feel like your relationship with your identity is at this point in your life like uh, I still have no idea who the hell I am right okay yeah. I, that's uh, good I, I think I'm I'm searching just like everyone um, to find purpose in life I mean I, I have a lot of things that I I identify with but mm-hmm. I mean if that really is who I am it's difficult to say and I, I'm so all over the place, you know, like my fingers are in every pie I can find. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, and that's kind of what I meant in terms of like re- in, in relationship to the show is like, okay, no idea who you are. Nobody mm-hmm. does. But if, if, if identity, if identity points were switches and you're doing this show and because you're dealing with in this case, such 
heavy, serious de- detective work in- inducing t- subject matters and people, of course. Has an- has anything that you've done while doing the dark room flipped those switches and you're like, oh, wow, like I didn't know that I felt so strongly about this yes. topic or this person or this... A hundred percent. Yeah, this situation. Yeah, yeah that, that happens all the time because, I, like I said, like I don't, um, I don't really go in doing as much research as Paul does. right of course so, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah you a lot mentioned of the that, time yeah. when people tell the stories to me like I'll know a bit about it but I don't really know the full the full mm-hmm. uh, scope of it all so I'll I'll learn about it. like we did an episode that actually we can't release I don't even know if I can talk about it on here but we did uh, an interview with uh, Miss World Canada um, her name's Anastasia Lynn and she is um, a um, she was I think she's part of a, a group like an advocacy group but she actually she's from uh, China and she was speaking about the Falun Gong mm-hmm. which is like a it's a peaceful sort of like semi-religious meditative sort of group that goes on there okay but the government of China is actually like kidnapping these people and harvesting their organs and like torturing these people it's crazy it's like straight out of a horror movie and uh, so she is um, taking it upon herself to spread the word so that everyone knows about this because it's like you know China they, they keep everything so you know, like within China, and even people in China don't know that this stuff's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that episode, like, I didn't know that anything about the Falun Gong. I talked to some people, and they're like, "Dude, you didn't know about that?" Like, Vice did a thing on it. It's like, yeah, I didn't know. But when I found out about it, and we also had a guy whose dad is actually in prison um, in China right now as a Falun Gong member mm-hmm. for the second time for like nine years or something like that. It really like struck his chords. I was like, "Holy shit! Like, this is really bad. Like, I can't imagine if my dad got like." you know, arrested by some, like, basically um, some random people just jumped out of a bush and, like, grabbed this guy's dad and threw him in a van, and now he's just in jail for, like, nine years getting tortured, and, like, yeah. nothing you can do about it. I was like, that's crazy. That's such an injustice, and I I wouldn't have known about that had we not done the cast, because I don't know if I would have stumbled upon this whole situation by just, you know, surfing the net or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, stuff like that, I mean, like, that definitely flips a switch, because I don't know, I, I didn't know about that information, and it makes me feel very strongly, like, Something should be should be done about that. Um, I, I think that that's probably the biggest way that it sort of like it flips those buttons where it's like, okay, now I know this information. Something has to be done about it, and then that kind of makes me more in tune with myself because it makes me think like, well, I'm the kind of person that would do blah 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 about it. Right. Yeah. So it so. is. It is, and that and that kind of is the that was essentially. I mean, to kind of tie a, a bow together on it when when we agreed to do this interview was mm-hmm. like that was one of the most interesting things that I could think of was like you now by choice have mm-hmm. exposed yourself to assumedly mm-hmm. be it be it anything that you've talked about on this podcast or anything again go to the dark room you can see everything that they've done um, they're on iTunes um, I'll add the link in the description like that growth associated with that must be so large because yeah. even as I follow you and see the next person that you're talking mm-hmm. to, I I'm always admittedly often shocked, but not just not not just shocked. I mean, I'm not just talking about like the shock and awe value of yeah. it, but it's like, okay, I'm putting together this this description, these words, and this this person in my mind, and I'm going, oh right, okay, well, I have an opinion on this now. You know, yes. and it's like I never, I never knew, and so it's like it's it's very interesting. I guess the best way to describe it is growth. Another word you could yep. use is just like just straight up discovery. Absolutely. But it's it's not just like to get get back to what I was saying. It's not just the discovery of these people. It's discovery yourself. It is. It right? is absolutely. And yeah, I think that that's like a 
when I'm doing the cast and I don't know what's happening, like that's mm-hmm. what I hope that all of our listeners feel too. It's like yeah. they're you know just taking this in for the first time, and I hope just that... like Andy Richter, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, Andy Richter, he doesn't know what's going on. He's sitting there and it just he takes it as a <laughs> he comes. doesn't know what's happening. <laughs> Andy, look at him. Next time the camera pans out, that's look at right. Andy. Sometimes he's not even watching. He's not even looking. He doesn't know what's happening. Um, Jordan, thank you so much for coming by hey, and talking thank to you me. So much uh, for having me. Uh, yeah, like I said, I will. Uh, I'll put the links in the description for this episode. Um, I, it's been fascinating to talk to you. I think that I think that it's it's so. Like I said, you can you can have as many different musicians or filmmakers or podcasters or whatever on the show, and everybody has a, a different way of looking at you know what's happening because of who that they are. And so, everybody, thank you for listening. Don't worry, I'll never leave you again. Um, I will never miss another week. I absolutely will. Uh, and yes, please follow us on Twitter, Identities Pod, or at Identities Pod. Um, subscribe in iTunes. Subscribe to the Podbean feed. Um, check out everybody else. I mean, I, I know I've been I've been wrecking social media with all the hey, uh, no episode this week. But uh, if you check out our amazing back catalog of episodes, you'll have lots to listen to, which is the cheapest marketing tactic in the book. And if you fell for it and listened to the first episode six weeks in, why are you doing that? Don't give me the benefit of the doubt. Don't do that for me. Um, but yeah, Jordan, thank you for coming. Thank thank I, this is, that's, the, that's my segment I like to call yell at the small audience that you have before you close out your episode. Uh, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry you had to see that. that you should do it. Yeah. You should do it. You should definitely just start yelling at people. They'll, they won't know what hit them. They'll be totally sucked like in that, by yeah. the story and then you'll just be fill your, yeah, well. We'll just throw that in halfway through an interview on one of our things. Be like, so annoying. Yeah, just cut, or you could throw, you could throw me in yelling at them. That would be good as well. They'd be like, who is this guy? And why is he telling me weird things about marketing cheap tricks or something? Um, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Thank you.